Precision medicine, is it hype or help, fact or fiction? Welcome to Precision Insight. This is a podcast series where the most influential thought leaders and innovators in healthcare sit with me to chat about the latest technologies and tools of precision medicine. What is coming up in the near future? If you want to know more about this incredibly fast-moving field of research and development, stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Precision Insights podcast. I am Rory St. Clair, Business Development Manager at Genexus Healthcare Systems, filling in for our regular host, Dr. Martin Dawes. We are very excited to welcome our guest for today's episode, Sarah Rogers. Sarah leads clinical programs at the American Society of Pharmacovigilance, ASP, which is designed to build bridges between groups, ideas, and individuals to rapidly and dramatically reduce the high rate of suffering and mortality due to adverse drug events in the United States. She co-chairs the Pharmacogenomics Access and Reimbursement Coalition to address payer issues and the barriers posed for widespread implementation of pharmacogenetic testing, which is known to be a significant player in proactively addressing medication side effects. Related to ASP and PARC, Sarah also co-developed the Standardizing Laboratory Practices in Pharmacogenomics Stripe Initiative, a public-private multidisciplinary collaborative community to accelerate the development of personalized medicine practices as a standard of care, an initiative which is now recognized by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. With that, Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Lori, thanks so much for having me. Quite an honor to be here. Oh, we are honored to be speaking with you. It is very important work you're doing, and we can't wait to dig in. But as we do, I'd like to ground this conversation in some fundamentals that we're all on the same page. So perhaps you can open it by telling us a little bit about, from a very entry level, something we could tell the kids come into the dinner party. What is an adverse drug reaction and why should we be worried about them? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's not just the kids that may not know the answer to that. It's also even within healthcare some differences in how we kind of describe what an adverse drug reaction is. But it's really just a side effect from a medication, something uncomfortable or dangerous that happened when you took a medication and it was unexpected. When I think about ADRs, I think about it as part of an even bigger problem of adverse drug events. And in addition to side effects, ADEs also include medication errors, allergic reactions, and overdoses. It seems like as a society, we all just simply accept the fact that medications have side effects, but we don't have to write prescriptions in the dark. And that's where PGX comes in, and that's why I'm excited to be here today. That's such a powerful vision and grounded in something people really don't recognize, which is we don't have to just accept that these side effects, we're all going to face them, and they're going to happen in a trial and error happenstance way. Very, very powerful insight. And I'm guessing that might be part of what inspired you to start the American Society of Pharmacovigilance. So maybe you can introduce us to that journey. What took you to starting ASP? Yeah, definitely. And it's actually an interesting story about how the inception of ASP is related to starting PARC, the Pharmacogenomics Access and Reimbursement Coalition. But I'm a pharmacist by training, and I worked for several years in an oncology setting, specializing in investigational IV chemotherapy production for patients on study protocols. Um, And I really enjoyed the team I worked with. I felt like the work was important, but still I felt like I could do more. And even during that time, I was always looking for an opportunity to do more. 
both inside and outside of healthcare. And I did some work as a research consultant, and one of the projects we were working on was to develop an algorithm to identify patients who might be good candidates for genetic testing. And during that project, we kept coming up against these statistics about adverse drug events. Here in the States, it's the fourth leading cause of death right behind cancer and cardiovascular disease, which is alarming. Tremendous cost burden to the U.S. healthcare system and hundreds and thousands of deaths, which are almost always preventable. So as a pharmacist, it's really my responsibility to do whatever I can to prevent suffering and pain from taking medications. It seemed like there was an unmet need in healthcare with no organization uniformly focused on preventing adverse drug events. So in 2018, three of us started the American Society of Pharmacovigilance to create a network of healthcare professionals who are committed to improving the quality of patient care and finding new ways to do it. Because one thing that was clear to me at that time is that there are many great efforts, but still more we could do and better ways that we can do it. So that said, a lot of our organizational objectives are focused on leveraging pharmacogenetics and personalized medicine as a tool to prevent adverse drug reactions by better understanding how a patient is going to respond to a medication before they receive that medication. And at the inception of the society, I became a member of the Clinical Pharmacogenetics Implementation Consortium, which is the group that writes the gene drug clinical practice guidelines. And shortly after I joined, I dialed in for a call and a genetic counselor had requested a couple minutes on the agenda to propose creating a group to focus on the reimbursement issues that everyone in the field seemed to be facing. So several of us met to further discuss this idea. We decided to call the group PARC, and that stands for the Pharmacogenomics Access and Reimbursement Coalition. And we were invited shortly thereafter to write a series for Pharmacogenomics Journal, which was published in July. And we're holding our inaugural symposium next month to convene stakeholders to discuss actionable ways that we can expand patient access to pharmacogenetics testing. Wow, so many key insights in there. The piece around pharmacogenetics as a tool to address some of those adverse drug reactions and reduce the rate of adverse drug events is so key. But that starting point of saying, we can't actually find a group that's currently doing this and it's such a huge problem, that must have really been quite an astonishing turn in the road for you. Were you surprised when you realized how big of a problem it was and went looking for people doing it and didn't see any? It is surprising because it seems like there are so many different organizations focused on different aspects of the overall problem. It seemed like there are groups focused on that medication error issue and preventing adverse drug events. ISMP, for example, the Institute of Safe Medicine Practices, does um, great work in studying best practices and how to avoid essentially giving the patient the wrong medication in certain high-risk areas. And still, again, I think it just comes back to that point of what can we really do about a medication having a side effect? And the truth is there's a lot that we can do. So it's definitely an opportunity to come in and put a new perspective on really an age-old problem. Yeah, very, very much so. And when you do it from the perspective of pharmacogenetics, your starting place in this initiative is one of saying, how do we tackle this incredibly complex new space that we know can be impactful, but there are all these things to be addressed. That journey must have been quite exciting, uh, but also quite challenging for you at the same time. Can you highlight some of the aspects that you found most exciting as you were getting this off the ground and perhaps also touch on some that you found most challenging? 
Yeah, so when you talk about starting new initiatives, it's exciting. And when you actually start to execute on the ideas you've come up with, it's more challenging than it is exciting. You really discover a lot of new information that you weren't aware of when you started to develop the idea. So it's important to be flexible and learn and grow as you go. At least that's our approach. And I'll use an ASP initiative that we launched last year as an example. It's called STRIPE, the Standardizing Laboratory Practices for Pharmacogenomics Initiative which at its inception grew out of a recommendation from one of our internal committees at ASP, a recommendation that was based on the growing and still unresolved concern throughout the community about the FDA safety communications that had just begun to be sent out to clinical laboratories offering pharmacogenetic services. And it became clear to us that since our goal is to develop personalized medicine practices as a standard of care, to provide more information at the point of care to guide physicians in selecting the safest and most effective drug and dose for each patient, then it makes sense to find ways to support stakeholders in achieving their individual goals and also to build a platform to coordinate all of those efforts through a centralized network, including FDA. As we were building out the STRIPE initiative, it was recommended by FDA to establish a collaborative community for pharmacogenetics testing a concept that we felt Stripe aligned closely with. So the biggest challenge was really to understand the perspectives of each of the different healthcare sectors who are beneficiaries of PGX and navigate existing notions and conceptions, and then securing buy-in on the big picture vision, yet making it relatable to the group's immediate priorities and objectives. So um, in that process, we got a lot of support in bringing industry stakeholders together to solve challenges that could be better addressed by coming together as an industry. We also got some resistance and in responding to the resistance was really an education piece to clarify and refine our messaging and show how this effort would support individual members and also push the entire field forward. So FDA announced last month that they are participating in the Stripe Collaborative Community. We have 90 members across 15 different healthcare sectors in the community each of whom have agreed to secure buy-in on the direction of Stripe and really to serve as a liaison between Stripe and their organization to ensure that the solutions we develop through the initiative are meeting the needs of their organization. So, and we have an open and ongoing registration process. We are actively building out our subcommittees. We've established year-end deliverables and we've begun strategic planning as a community. There's no cost to join and a lot of different pathways to participate. So we recommend that every stakeholder in personalized medicine registers so that they can get correspondence on these ongoing opportunities to participate in ways which align with their skills, interests, and availability. So to your point, as we work towards these milestones, so for example, with Stripe, one was to submit a charter to the FDA. So when we got word that the charter was successful, it was exciting but more so it was an indication that it was time to roll up our sleeves and ramp up our efforts and just keep pushing forward. It is analogous to climbing a mountain. At every great vista, you realize the bigger and better one up ahead. Exactly. I, yeah. <laughs> I absolutely resonate with that. I think the idea that you're tackling this big challenge in this complex system and you're starting from a place of let's just get moving and you start ASP. And then you realize reimbursement is top of mind for people in the space and you start park. And from there you realize, well, we actually have a lot of standardization to do. If we're able to operationalize this and you end up in Stripe, 
that's just such an incredible journey of collaborating and bringing different stakeholders to the table. And one aspect of this is actually coming up pretty soon in October, right? I think you mentioned this a second ago, but you are bringing together the leaders in the pharmacogenomics space to an event called the Pharmacogenomics Access and Reimbursement Symposium, PARS. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about this event, what is happening, who's coming, and why all of us participating in this podcast and listening should really be attending, this can be so critical. Yeah, definitely. So Park is co-presenting the event with the Golden Helix Foundation, which is a nonprofit out of the UK that focuses on economic evaluation for personalized medicine and increasing access to PGX in developing countries. The symposium will be held on October 8th at the National Academy of Sciences in Washington, D.C., with a live webcast to accommodate remote participation. And like you said, the symposium is an opportunity to bring stakeholders together to start breaking down the barriers to coverage and patient access to genomics technologies and molecular diagnostics and, you know, shining a light on pharmacogenetics testing. The sessions will take attendees on a journey to better understand the factors that affect coverage and reimbursement for testing. The first session focuses on the frameworks that we use to value medical technologies, which is known as health technology assessment. So we have leaders in HTA Innovation speaking who will be bringing their experience from organizations like NICE in the UK and HTAI in Europe, which developed the HTA core model that is really an international standard to assess value. So the second session is health economics, which brings together experts in genomics and economics outcomes research to talk more about the dollars and cents that we can avoid spending and some of the models and examples that we can highlight in showcasing that cost savings. We have a health policy session with speakers from the Institute of Healthcare Improvement, the National Coalition on Health, and the American Enterprise Institute to discuss opportunities to develop personalized medicine policy and describing the inequity of patient access to PGX as patient harm. Yeah, and then we have our session on value-based payment models and innovation to do some thought experiments about new and innovative payment models. So we've enlisted the actuaries, financial gurus, and um, we have the medical director for MoldyX, which is a program that sets the bar from their Medicare coverage on molecular diagnostics here in the States. And in considering that coverage is not the only fact inhibiting patient access, then the question is, after it's covered, how do we get PGX to the people? And what are the opportunities for engagement in lower socioeconomic communities, even with more consistent coverage? So we'll discuss that also. And then we'll close with a keynote talk describing the precision medicine landscape and the new health economy created by COVID-19. So that's a little um, preview for the day. We do still have a few in-person tickets available and plenty of room to join via the live webcast. If you are listening to this podcast episode, then you can use the code VIP20 to get 20% off the webcast package. So we hope to see some of the listeners there as well. That's terrific. We uh... We also hope to see some of the listeners participating. I think it's a great event that anyone interested in this topic should really be looking to so that they get these views on everything from health technology and implementation through the economics and policy and value-based innovation lenses. So much is to be excited about in that event. I'd like to really take this conversation though and focus it on something that sounds like you've actually built a lot of understanding and expertise around, which is reimbursement for pharmacogenetics. Where are we coming from? Where are we today? Where are we going? 
And framing that problem of where is reimbursement today and where do we need to take it, it's important to think about, I think, from our perspective, all the other barriers we've seen. So costly implementation efforts, the lack of confidence we see in some physicians where we need educational resources, we need training, the lack of consensus on laboratory practices. There's so much, but you focused on limited reimbursement. So can you tell us a little bit about where we are today, what are the current reimbursement models and for pharmacogenic testing and how those fit together? Yeah, sure. As you mentioned, there are several well-documented barriers to implementing PGX. The most commonly cited is access and reimbursement, and that's across stakeholder groups. So it's the clinical laboratories, health systems, providers, and especially patients who are oftentimes paying out of pocket the full cash price for testing. So although pricing has come down a lot, cash pay programs are boxing out lower socioeconomic classes from getting this level of care. There are studies that have polled different groups based on level of income. More than half would not pay more than 100 bucks, and a significant number of respondents could not afford to pay if there was any cost at all for testing. So looking at reimbursement from a health system perspective, as part of our research to understand how tests are reimbursed in a hospital and health system setting, it seems like there are a few main mechanisms. Most prominently is grant funding. So some of the larger health systems have supported implementation of testing programs through grant sponsorship by organizations um, like NIH, Ignite Network, Emerge, and the Pharmacogenomics Research Network. And I guess the problem with that is that those funding sources are coming to an end. So we need to find ways to pay for PGX so that we can continue to support advancements in the field. There's also institutional billing and submitting to insurance, which is typically not covered by U.S. payers. Traditionally, Medicare has covered single gene drug pair testing. So, for example, if a certain drug is being considered, then perhaps they might cover testing for just one gene that's associated with that drug. But even single gene coverage is sporadic and varies by region. Really, an ideal would be to offer preemptive PGX panels for patients and have that information available anytime a new medication might be started. And in fact, we do have some recent updates to local coverage determinations for Medicare, which now covers panel tests for certain patients who meet certain criteria, a step in the right direction, but still more we can do. Yeah, we've been carefully watching those developments in the reimbursement space and very positive with the local coverage determinations you just mentioned. But as you're talking about this, I'm really noting that this is lag. The reimbursement for pharmacogenics is, is behind in many ways the reimbursement for other novel healthcare offerings. I mean, pharmacogenics is not exactly new as of yesterday. So why do you think in your research, why do you think it is behind in this way? What do you think that stems from? So I think it stems from a lack of payer knowledge about pharmacogenetics testing. The Medicare administrative contractors met last year on an open call to discuss PGX in the area of psychiatry and assembled a panel of experts to describe the role of PGX in drug response. Now, just over a year later, we have updated Medicare coverage for PGX in patients with certain psychiatric disorders. So any approach that incorporates educating payers is worthwhile and really is the bread and butter of the symposium we're planning next month 
Majority of healthcare in the U.S. is purchased by employers who are sponsoring health plans to offer as a benefit to employees. So the goal is really to show not only how PGX can improve the health of employees, but also some new and innovative models that we could develop as part of a personalized medicine policy to support cost savings and also improve productivity as one angle. This is an interesting lever you've created to bring all these stakeholders to the table and have an event to serve as an education platform to bring them up to speed on what has really been quite promising research and some very promising implementations. I think data this should be quite compelling for many. What are some of the mechanisms you see that you expect to be able to move the needle further in these reimbursement discussions? They're going to get people realizing that using this proactively for many people is a great idea. Uh, how do you view that? How are you thinking about the, the ways in which you're going to build the case for reimbursement? Yeah, so there there are some things that aren't consistently being done that could help move the needle. The first PGX test was approved by FDA in 2005. And at that time, we didn't have unique CPT codes for pharmacogenetics, and we were just using unspecified molecular pathology procedure codes. In 2012, we started to see PGX-specific billing codes. And depending on reimbursement, what the reimbursement mechanism is, whether it's cash pay or institutional billing, there's still some discrepancies in linking the testing with the associated billing code, and that's affecting documentation and record keeping and our ability to track patient outcomes based on the performance of that test. So it's pulling out our ability to showcase that real-world data that payers really want to see. So doing that more consistently in combination with the payer education piece to establish clinical and economic utility for multi-gene testing and preemptive models, I think, could go a long way. And do you see education as an important piece to accelerating the shift to broader coverage? Yeah, the unmet education needs are across the board. So patient education needs to focus on the strengths and limitations of testing, the potential for false negative if the panel doesn't have broad variant coverage, and just understanding the effect that genetics plays in drug response. Provider education, I think, should be better integrated into medical and pharmacy school curricula. And there needs to be a focus on PGX as part of continuing education. We've talked to payers who are starting to cover pharmacogenetics. And as part of that rollout for the PGX testing, they're also including a provider education piece to make sure that they have what they need to successfully roll out PGX now that it's going to begin to be covered. So I think that's a great model to look at. And then, of course, continuing to emphasize economic utility to payers and plan sponsors who really are the ones getting stuck with the bill when an employee has a serious or expensive to treat adverse drug reaction that could have been avoided. Absolutely. What I hear in that implicit is there's still so much potential through education, through broadening coverage. There's a real future vision. And I want to kind of with our final section of this discussion, I'd love to zoom in on that future vision. As you look forward at what pharmacogenetics can accomplish, and you think about the bigger picture, um, how do you view the usage of pharmacogenetics? Do you think it will be appropriate to be testing everyone, or who will this be targeted towards? So I think there is a genetic component in the way a patient will respond to medications, and we need to test patients to better understand the circumstances 
that the genetic predisposition is most relevant and for which medications and which underlying medical conditions, in addition to a variety of other factors that can play a role, such as epigenetics and proteomics. So there are some notable exceptions when patients should not be tested. So for example, if a patient has had a bone marrow transplant or if they are in liver or kidney failure. So as the field progresses and we move towards a deeper and deeper understanding of genetic relationships between drugs and drug response, then recommendations to retest periodically may also be applicable. So um, to answer your question, the information that we get from pharmacogenetics testing is invaluable, and it would be helpful to have that information on hand for as many patients as we can accurately test. It's a good point is that it is quite nuanced, you know, identifying the right people. And even as we learn more, that nuance could grow. So as this bridges out through the healthcare industry, what role do you see pharmacogenomics playing in the future? How is it going to fit into current or future models of care? Yeah, well, so PGX represents to me a paradigm shift. We're asking physicians to change the way they look at patients when they decide how to treat them. We had insulin before we had laboratory tests to guide insulin dosing. So just imagine treating a patient with diabetes without knowing what their glucose level is or what their hemoglobin A1C is. And this is the level of specificity that we're lacking when we decide not to use available tools to understand each patient's genetic predisposition and how they may respond to a medication. And we can take a brief history of the practice of medicine and look to a time not that long ago when pharmacokinetics was a cutting-edge field and the resistance to incorporating it into clinical practice seemed insurmountable. And now pharmacokinetics is an integral part of medical and pharmacy school curricula. So PGX is at a precipice and it's going to take a concerted effort to explore ways to push pharmacogenetics into the clinic and towards standard of care. And that's where it truly belongs. Excellent point. What role do you see pharmacists playing in that transformation? Yeah, well, so as a pharmacist, I would say that pharmacists are the best positioned to lead PGX implementation efforts, to counsel patients on PGX, and should be at the center of care models which seek to optimize medication therapy using genetics as a tool to do that. The vast majority of PharmDs who graduated yesterday are working in a retail setting today and spending a good deal of time making sure that the correct drug is in the bottle for the right patient. Not an unimportant task, but one that is binary and one which can and is becoming automated. So here in the States, national layoffs for pharmacists in retail pharmacies and jobs which are already underutilizing the pharmacist skill set. So if you are a pharmacist, then PGX is for you and you know more about PGX than you think you know. So, and there are a lot of PGX certifications that I would recommend to pharmacists to kind of help bridge any sort of gap from what's included in the pharmacy curricula to what's the up-to-date information. And we recently detailed in an article what those different certifications are, so I'm happy to pass that along. But my recommendation is just start by typing in pharmacogenomics to your next PubMed search and read everything you can about PGX. And register to participate in the Stripe Initiative and just be ready to roll up your sleeves because we have a lot of work to do and we all need to work together to invest not only in the future of our profession, but in the future of healthcare. Absolutely. Well, Sarah, kudos to you and your team on all of these fantastic initiatives. You are clearly tackling one of the bigger problems in healthcare and you are breaking off important pieces and tackling them one at a time. It is excellent to hear. 
Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we part ways? Yeah, it's an honor to serve. And the only thing I could really say is if you see a problem, don't talk yourself into thinking that there's someone better to address it than you. It's been an honor to be here today with you and just encourage everyone to get involved and join us and others in these great efforts across healthcare. That's excellent. And where can people find you if they want to follow you and see the developments in these different initiatives? The ASU website is at stopadr.org, where you can also find out a little bit more about Stripe on the ASP website. We're on Twitter, Am Society Farm, and we're also on LinkedIn. Great to hear. Well, Sarah, it is a pleasure talking to you. As always, the work you're doing is incredible. We can't wait to connect again soon and keep pushing this movement forward. There's so much good we can do. Thanks for being here, and thanks, thanks for, for being me. on the podcast.